Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Crowning Around, a podcast where three regular everyday peasants attempt to learn about the royal family through their depictions on film and television. Today, we'll be diving into The Crown, Season 6, Episode 3, Dimwawi, uh, Say Yes to Me. And it's an episode that we've been anticipating for some time. It finally happened. We got the flashback to the dog, which I don't think any of us expected, but of course, that's what the crown gave us, and so we're just going to roll with it, and there's a lot to dive into in this episode, so let's not waste any time. First, a man who's been working hard on the Say No To Me line, it's Ivan Vukovic. Ivan, can you describe what uh, some of the Say No To Me rings look like? Uh, I mean, in a way, the we saw it in action in this episode, right? Oh, so you've just basically repurposed Say Yes To Me, and now it's Say No To Me. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah, re- rebranded it for, for a different line. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Uh, also back with us today, a woman who has yet to get her first stag. It's Carlin Greenwald. Carlin, do you think you'll never amount to anything now that you're well past 14 and you haven't gotten your first stag? I, I guess, sadly, that's what's going to happen, but am I unhappy about that? No, because, frankly, I don't want to kill deer or of any kind, really any animal. It's not on my to-do list, never a goal of mine. I wonder what it does to the young mind to kill things before age 15. What is it with, because this isn't just a crown thing. We've seen this in pretty much every <laughs> every movie and every like other thing we've watched as well. Like There's always some sort of metaphor with you know deer and stags around the royal family. But like, if the, but we know what their old metaphor was, which was like when it was young Diana as the stag. So what does it mean that her son killed the stag? Um, I guess I, you know what. Actually, it's a very obvious metaphor. Which uh, that's sad. Wait, have we have we seen stags in any non Peter Morgan productions? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> maybe just I'm Peter. Forget- just yeah. Peter Morgan. Yeah, it might just be Peter Morgan. But yeah, we can we can dive into that, I think, as we as we walk through the episodes. Before we do that, though, just quick disclaimer off the top. If you came here for any sort of factual clarity, you've come to the wrong place because we don't know. We originally set out to learn about the royal family, anticipating that all of these events actually happened the way that they happened. More and more so, I, f- I find that that's increasingly difficult. It's very hard to suspend my disbelief at some of the things that happened, but... Uh, nonetheless, we're going to assume that everything that we saw here was at least inspired by what actually happened. So we can sort of try to take something from it. But yeah, if you came here for, you know, hoping that we could help clear things up, that that's not what that's not what we're doing here. I, I would actually jump in and say that, like, maybe more than ever, we need to just kind of take everything in this episode at face value, because the, the moment we start questioning it a little bit, it's going to be a very probably like a, a just kind of a rabbit hole of trying to reconcile with reality, which I don't think we're going to be able to do. That's a that's a good way to put it. So with that. Carlin, can you give us a quick recap of what we saw in Dimwawi? Yeah, so um, our relationship with Dodie and Diana is progressing in two seemingly very different ways. Muhammad is pressuring Dodie to propose, saying that he'll basically give him the company and his respect as a father if he does this. Meanwhile, Diana is, I'm pretty sure, talking to her therapist or a friend. Either way, I don't really know if she does therapy, but someone who is advising her that, like, This romance seems to be a bit on the dramatic side, and wouldn't it be more healthy for her if she started to not court drama in the way that her life has always been thus far? And she kind of is starting to see that perspective. 
So basically, they're in, I want to say Italy. I'm going to go with Italy. And so Dodie and Diana go out in public. Diana doesn't want to go, but Dodie's insistent. So they're out in public talking and Dodie basically apologizes for the Kelly situation. And they discuss how rough that's been with the press. And of course, right on schedule, fans start to recognize them and a mob forms and they basically have to go hide out in a jewelry store in order to escape these. It's not only the paparazzi, it's not only fans, everyone is just kind of wild for these two. But while in the jewelry store, Dodie sees a ring and he starts to have a more solid plan of what he's going to do to propose. The situation with the paparazzi continues to be more and more intense. They have to get into car chases to get anywhere. There is just pandemonium in terms of any sort of movement of Diana around any specific places. Meanwhile, we see Dodie buying the ring and progressing with his plan. Diana eventually gets to go see the boys, where it's sort of clear that she hasn't seen them in a while, And but they do manage to ask her, is she going to marry Dodie because they have read it in the newspapers? She says no, and to not believe the newspapers, but interesting point that that is now something that has gone into the zeitgeist. Dodie tries to go to a restaurant, very clearly having a like proposal you know, situation in mind, but the paparazzi, again, are so bad, and it's such a such an issue that they end up going to the Ritz, where at the Ritz, they have a very weirdly candid conversation where Diana basically tells Dodie that she doesn't want to marry anyone right now and that he should be making decisions based off what he actually wants. So his fa- he calls his father and we as the audience see that he like hung up and then he tells his father that like he's not going to marry Diana and like sticks, you know, stands up to him. Which, you know, we all know isn't <laughs> isn't actually real. But then, like, a few scenes later, Dodie tells Diana this. So, like, I guess that's some nice honesty. But they basically end the conversation being like, we're not going to get married right now. Let's go back to the apartment. And when they try to do that, that is when the fateful car crash happens. And Dodie and Diana pass away while trying to lose the paparazzi. Yeah. Thanks, Carlin. I thought that this episode was interesting in its decisions and the way that it was formatted because basically it felt like we were seeing diana's death and this entire episode through Dodie's perspective which was not what i would have thought the crown would have done but that's what we got and not only that as i mentioned before they doubled we thought oh i didn't think there would be a dog uh as the primary witness to uh diana's death but they doubled down on it so big surprises for me in this episode. It was quite something. I mean, I is it good, I guess, that they didn't go super graphic with it? Yeah. But the fact that we kind of were wondering if that would happen is it's kind of upsetting. Yeah. Uh, did, so right off the bat, I, I think we had uh, discussed in... Uh, at the, when we were just talking about the first episode of the season, whether they would revisit the dog scene again. And I think if I recall correctly, we had, had we kind of agreed that like that was just a one-off cold open and we wouldn't be revisiting it from that perspective again? I think yeah, we did, yeah. We, did. we were wrong. <laughs> I, they, they have limited screen time and they're like, you know what we need? That dog. I'm trying to think where to start with this. I guess I'll start with just... This portrayal, I think, of the entire situation is a little bit different than what I've, or, you know, how it's been portrayed in the past. Basically, because of, I think, the visibility into Dodie's perspective and Mohammed's perspective, 
I think that if we were previously assigning like a blame pie, I don't know necessarily that they would have gotten that much of the pie. But after watching this, I feel like the crown definitely assigns them each at least 20%, if not more. It's very high. Yeah, it it, it almost like reframes the the death of Diana, uh, you know, from just kind of like this massive tragedy to this like almost like psychological horror film where the walls were closing in on her until it it ended in a, you know, terrifying and devastating manner. Like I I don't know, the, the I, I certainly, you know, don't have fond feelings for, you know, Muhammad after this episode. But I mean, that was already mounting um, even earlier on. But yeah, they, they really end up turning him into just this villainous overseer. Yeah, they laid it on so thick at like just this point where it's like the most overtly schemey thing I feel like we've ever seen on this show. It's oh, yeah, it, I don't know. And no, for sure, it's very interesting with the psychological part of it all, because it's like we've seen Spencer at this point, and it's not an unusual thing to frame Diana's life in that way. But it did feel weird to have it be here. It almost was trying, like, it almost feels like it was suggesting, and maybe she did think this, that, like, she was predicting that this would have happened, like, as if, like, all these events were leading up to this, which is well, such a yeah, weird, because it could- yeah. Because it starts off as, as early on as in Monte Carlo, where they're, you know, running away from fans and paparazzi. Like, that already feels like the beginning of the end right there. And yeah. and everything that leads up to the ending of this episode is like, uh, you know, I mean, not a comedy of errors, but a tragedy of errors where, where everything that Dodie does or Muhammad does or Diana agrees to leads to a, a, an even even more devastating mistake to follow. Yeah, definitely. Um, that being said, there was a large part of me throughout this episode that uh, felt like this could have been condensed into an earlier episode. And I think one of the things that, or, or one of my takeaways, I think, as I was watching this episode was, how many times can Diana have like a last conversation with somebody? Because I feel like we've gotten this beat maybe three or four times now. Like there was the beat where, oh, she can't get in touch with William on the phone. But then she does get in touch with William on the phone. And I thought we did this last week where there was the hug and that was going to be it. I I just feel like we're kind of hitting the same beats repeatedly because they wanted to stretch this out. I mean, clearly every time that Diana and William interacted, they just acted like they would never see each other again because that's how normal people act. Well, it was really only through Diana's attempts to connect with William uh, and and Harry that we even got like any scenes of the rest of the royal family. Because I don't know that there's ever been a Crown episode that has been this unilaterally focused on you know not just one storyline, but really like one uh, you know sequential series of settings that are all told through the perspective of one or two characters like this this is what this was one of the most like linear and kind of real-time crown episodes ever yeah no i honestly kind of forgot that they were part of the show to be totally honest (laughs) (laughs) watching this episode you're like ah yes it's my diana drama time what was i watching before this nothing nothing just diana yeah it certainly it certainly did not feel like the crown um and i, I and that's not a, a that's not a you know a compliment that that's not an indictment of the episode but it's certainly you know we we've we've talked much, so much at length now about how much this show has strayed away from the tone and the pacing it had in earlier seasons but this 
you know, particular episode more than any other just felt like a different series altogether. So I don't want to, I don't know, harp on that point too much because I feel like we've talked about it before. You can, I feel like, <laughs> listen back to earlier episodes to hear all of our thoughts about that. I do want to talk a little bit about how they chose to open this episode, which I did actually find to be a little bit interesting because we have two kind of uh, opposing phone calls. We have Diana with her therapist, again, in a very kind of like foreboding and pre- almost predictive manner being like, yeah, I should change my behavior. This is this is definitely is leading me down the wrong path. And then on the flip side, we have Mohammed telling Dodi that if he is successful in getting Diana to agree to marry him, he will be not a failure anymore. He will uh, get everything, the whole family fortune, Herod's, the Ritz, everything. And, you know, I feel like we've gotten some of this before. Uh, especially in the relationship between Mohammed and Dodi, but it really, I felt, showed more how Dodi is manipulated by his father. And I don't know if it's Dodi's psyche or if it's just like he really is motivated by how much money and how much wealth there is like down the line for him um, when later on he, he has to hang up the phone call. But uh, yeah, I thought it set up the episode really interesting in a really interesting way. Yeah, and 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 to to that point, I do wonder, uh, you know, the conflict that Dodie uh, was facing here, you know, whether to follow his uh, father's meticulous and suffocating instructions, or to kind of you know chart a course and be his own person, like he was sort of feigning to do toward the end of the episode. That latter option, like, where would that have taken him necessarily? Because I, I wonder, you know, his life out in California and, and his career in Hollywood, how much of it is, uh, you know, kind of permanently connected to his father's empire? Like, could he just essentially, you know, quit, uh, you know, having any kind of relationship with his father, but continue to maintain that life out in California? Like, I would imagine not, right? Well, was the implication that, like, Muhammad was going to dump him if he didn't get with Diana. I guess that was probably implied. Yeah. It was implied, but like, like again, like, what does dumping him mean? Like, do, does is Dodie's entire job and career and and you know essentially livelihood tied to his father, or is there anything that he's doing out in California, either in Hollywood or otherwise, where he has you know some money on the side that he can live off with in the event that he's you know cutting the cord. You'd think he would. He's like a middle-aged man. Yeah, he's done but something. He made those movies. He's, he's not your everyday average middle-aged man. And 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 those movies that he produced, like they were all using like Fiat money, right? I I believe so. So you you gotta wonder if he if he were to just walk away from it all, if he would even have anything left. Yeah, I guess sure. I don't know. We get probably in this episode one of the most awkward proposals that um, <laughs> I've seen. Uh, depicted in a television show and we knew the result of this because in the phone aforementioned phone call with William Diana very much says you know if he if he's going to propose to me I'm not ready to get married and she reiterates this to Dodie nonetheless he's really bad at reading the room and he asks anyways I, I can't I can't tell is this something that we know happened or is this just something that probably in hindsight Mohammed just like really tried to get that narrative out there this are we allowed to speculate now i guess we're allowed uh, to speculate I mean, we now. have to right yeah. yeah i i would suspect that muhammad has had the narrative out there of like what we see uh, you know 
probably that they were going to get married and blah, blah, blah. I don't even remember it yet. It's so interesting because it's like if they did give us this opposite narrative, it must be somewhat true. Otherwise, they're really inciting something here. Well, and, and, you know, to the degree that Peter Morgan has any kind of agenda to make certain people look good and certain people look bad, it's strange that he is, you know, simultaneously painting this very grim portrayal of Muhammad and, and, and to a certain extent even of Dodi, while at the same time also sort of buying into the mythology that Muhammad has painted in, out in the real world, that like, you know, Dodi and Diana got along very famously. They were very close. It was, you know, a storied romance and there was an engagement. Like, I, I feel like if Peter Morgan really disliked Muhammad as much as he seemed to based on his portrayal of Muhammad, you'd almost wonder, like, why Peter Morgan wouldn't have left a bunch of those elements out of the story and just kind of continued to portray the relationship of Dodi and Diana as very casual and, and, and not anything more than it needed to be. Well, honestly, this made it seem like a failure. Like it, it made it seem like they never actually had anything, to be totally honest. Like, and I also, I don't know, I never really bought their chemistry the way that like I would assume the real life chemistry was. Like they still seem very awkward around each other. I don't know. They they do, but there, there was also kind of like a, I don't know, things felt very aired out in that final scene between them when they were, you know, when first of all, after Diana had, you know, rejected Dodie and, uh, you know, they started to kind of be a little bit more open and honest with each other, that was probably like the most legitimate connection that they'd had. Mm -hmm. And it kind of ended uh, their story on like a, you know, like not a romantic note, but certainly a, a meaningful one. And yeah, I would, I, I just wonder, maybe it's because Peter Morgan doesn't want to, uh, necessarily slander Dodi as much as he wants to slander Muhammad. Yeah, the events that occur in this episode and the storylines that we see are tied up so nicely in a bow in a way that I feel like it's impossible for them to have actually been tied up that neatly in real life because no one knows what's going to happen and you can't have the perfect conversation at the perfect time. So like in that sense, it was hard for me to suspend my disbelief at, at, at you know, that last conversation between Diana and Dodie, for example, because it just wraps up so nicely at such the perfect time. But Ivan, I think to your point, I think if they had chosen to go another way, Mohammed doesn't look as bad. So if Peter Morgan's agenda is really like to penalize Mohammed for pushing this agenda, the only way to really push Mohammed is to really kind of like present it this way because it's so outrageous in a lot of ways rather than just mm -hmm. ignore this perspective entirely because then no one would even know yeah and, and and you know to that point i think uh if peter morgan wanted the audience to walk away with one overarching villain then it is muhammad like this episode kind of neatly connects the dots in a way that suggests that he is to blame for the death of these two people. Yeah. I guess them and the paparazzi, but yeah. Them and the paparazzi and the driver, Henri, who's at the bar drinking, and then it's just like, yeah, yeah I'll drive. I don't know. I which, yeah. which, which, if I understand correctly, that that is part of Muhammad's conspiracy, right? Yes, I believe so. So, I mean, the blame pie, I feel like, has dramatically shifted. Like, I feel like... Maybe before we started watching The Crown, you know, paparazzi gets some blame. The royal family as a whole for just the entire situation preceding these events gets some blame. But I feel like 
this kind of definitely manipulated that that pie chart and distributed blame in different places than than we had previously i think been been or had on our radar can you imagine if there was just a scene of elizabeth answering a phone saying do it and then hanging up oh my god i that would have been so if like a reviewer gave this episode like one star they would be like negative five star <laughs> but wow that would have been that i think the royal family would kill peter morgan if they did that but, but the reason I, I, the reason i pose that question is because as ludicrous as it is it's not far off from how Muhammad's being portrayed here. Like, yeah, and obviously, honestly. it wasn't his it wasn't his intention, uh, you know, to to create the circumstances le- that led to the accident. But like Peter Morgan yeah. ma- makes it very clear that like it was his hand that produced all of this. Yeah, no, it was it was very uh, very heavy handed. Sorry, Muhammad. I don't know if you're still alive. I don't think he is. I, I think he actually passed away very recently. Oh no! So we could have seen this. Uh, no, no, not like days or weeks recently, oh. but like months or years recently. I think okay. it might have been within the past year. I hope he was spared. That that would suck. <laughs> that being said, I don't want to, you know, discount the paparazzi in their, their blame for this, because this is definitely the most aggressive uh, that we've seen the paparazzi, I think, in The Crown so far. Following the car, banging on the windows, really just giving Diana absolutely zero privacy in any aspect oh, of her man. life. So much to the, and it's not even the paparazzi. It's also just the general public. Like she really can't go anywhere without people recognizing her, asking for photographs, for signatures. She has to send somebody ahead to get ice cream for her. Like it's, it, it definitely seems really, really challenging to deal with in a way that uh, I feel like has just been escalating throughout the past couple of episodes. I honestly can't believe that Dodie was like, yeah, let's go out in public. Like, <laughs> sir, do you not know about this? Did you not see this coming? Well, and also like, okay, so this this level of kind of like aggression from paparazzi, like I imagine that as a result of this tragedy, like that sort that behavior subsided a little bit in our society, right? Like you don't really Um, hear or see like this level of kind of dedication that paparazzi have to their job to, to the point where they're, you know, dangerously harassing their their prey. Well, the interesting thing is I don't know if there's been anyone as big as Diana to like see if they do this or not, because wasn't there all those scandals with Harry and Meghan recently about paparazzi like harassment? Again, it's probably not on the level of Diana, because again, I don't think they're as big as her, even though they're kind of close. And maybe it's a different culture in like the UK and Europe as it is in the US. But like, I feel like your your standard paparazzi photo, uh, you know, that's taken around the Los Angeles area is from a distance. Like they're not really getting in anybody's face nowadays, are they? Um, you can probably still see it, but I don't think you would ever have like car chases over it. Exactly. Also, yeah. because in LA you would just get into an accident immediately and it probably wouldn't be worth it. I I, I kind of side with Carlin on this. Like I don't know that there's been anybody who has the as widespread an appeal as Diana and who also like is giving as many headlines, I feel like, as Diana. Like, even with Harry and Meghan, like, there's no, there's nothing, like, salacious or scandalous or, like, gossipy, anything like that. But now you've got me thinking about when they were living in the UK. And I do wonder, I'm sure someone has done, like, a studied, like, parallel on that. I wonder how close it actually did get, though. Because they left. Like, they left the UK over it. So. Okay, so to, to... 
to zoom out here a little bit, uh, I have a question for you too. Um, it has been now nearly two and a half seasons since Diana was introduced. And I think uh, like I fondly remember, uh, you know, Emma Corrin's first scenes and kind of that haunting score that like already, even back then, uh, kind of foreshadowed, uh, you know, tragedies to come. So, you know, two and a half seasons later, we, we've now reached the end of uh, Diana's arc. I mean, overall, how did you feel it was handled? Like, did you like this episode? Did you not? Like, I, I have some thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. I, I thought the episode was like, okay. I think that for this kind of episode, and when we know that like the main, the quote unquote main character of this whole tragedy, I mean, Dodie, I'm so sorry. You are the side man who died in this tragedy about the woman dying. I feel like they didn't go enough into like Diana. Like we did, I didn't feel like without getting the Diana point of view, I feel like it's going to ultimately come up weaker than if they had done a version with that. Cause I, I think that there's still so much to be said about like that one scene with the public and them like going to the jewelry shop, I thought was the best scene of the episode because I feel like you actually understood like the psychological torment of all this. In a way where, again, like we see how it leads up to what happens, but it felt like that was the one moment where you like you kind of understand like what she's going through. I, I, I meh on this. It could have been a lot worse. It could have been a lot better. Yeah, for me, I really enjoyed. I think season four. I thought you yeah, know Emma Corrin did a great job as Diana, and I'm a little bit more. What's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. I'm a little bit more. I'm just. It's hard for me to look at the past season and a half and be like, oh, this isn't just like theater. I don't know. I feel mm -hmm. like the past season and a half has really, I, I don't know, the story has just felt very much almost fan fiction-y at some points in a way that I, I just felt like it was in, in some points, like it felt like it was lacking authenticity. And honestly, I don't know whether it, you know, was authentic or was not authentic because I haven't been close enough to the story, but it just felt too dragged out in terms of like the spacing of the events. Like, I don't know, we've been moving through time. I feel like so rapidly almost um, between, you know, when you consider the fact that we started this show in like the 1950s, but then it just feels like in the past season and a half, we've kind of stalled out. Like the pacing has definitely slowed down a lot and it's all been at the it's all been to portray this story of Diana and it's gotten so much attention that uh, I don't know. It, it just feels like it could have, it could have moved a lot, a, a lot faster in maintaining the pace that the show had set for itself. Okay. And, and I agree with, you on all of that, Sam, but uh, setting aside like the larger kind of uh, pacing nuances, like how did you feel about this as a final chapter for Diana? Oh, this episode in particular. I mean, I was fairly down on it, which interestingly, this was along with the, the next episode, the two highest rated episodes of the season so far by the people voting on IMDb. But there's only four. Correct. I oh mean, it, it's certainly one of the most consequential episodes. Yeah. And I think yeah. IMDb viewers tend to kind of gravitate to lore heavy episodes of any given show. That's so interesting. Uh, okay. So I have some scattered and at some points contradictory thoughts on all of this. Um, so first of all, uh, regarding the decision to kind of take the final part of Diana's story and stick it kind of in the first three episodes of, of, of the season, 
I thought was a really weird decision. Like we talked a lot about the pacing issues of season five and now having seen what they covered in these three episodes, I think there is no reason there couldn't have been a season five that ended with Diana's death or some of the aftermath to come as opposed to ending it when they did. There was like a lot of real estate uh, in season five that was misused on things that we didn't really care for. And granted, a lot of that uh, other stuff involved other members of the royal family, which we haven't seen enough of. So I can understand wanting to kind of take some pauses in the Diana storyline to to put a spotlight on some of that other stuff. Unfortunately, a lot of that other stuff wasn't particularly inter- interesting. So I, I am kind of in, in a bit of conflict right now where at the same time, I want to see more of the other members of the royal family. But I also think for narrative purposes, if they wanted to make the previous season even more Diana heavy just to get to the end of this storyline and put a bow on it at the end of a season instead of in the first couple episodes, I kind of would have been on board with that. Yeah, the episode itself, a, a, a lot of it didn't work for me just because it didn't feel like a crown episode. And I think the psychological horror element uh, to it was kind of interesting to watch, but it felt like it was just trying to add some flair to something that we all in some way just kind of wanted to get over with. <laughs> like, I, I know that sounds kind of strange to say, but like, this has been built up so much. We've known it, it's been coming. I don't know that there would ever have been a way to do it justice. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that this was the way. I agree with that. And I think that yeah. it's it's not like, it's because we know what's going to happen, right? It's not like your watch, spoiler for anyone who's watching, who's watched, who has not watched Succession, you know, skip for thirty seconds. But like, it's not like Logan Roy, where it's like, oh, this is a surprise. Like, oh, yeah, episode yeah. three, this person has died, and I was not expecting that to happen right now. Like, we all knew it was going to happen, and I don't think anyone was like, I was going to cancel Netflix, but I haven't seen Diana's death yet, so I guess I'll keep Netflix until season six of The Crown comes out. Like, I don't think that was ever the case, and I do also feel like. There's enough that's happened in the royal family in the past 30 years that could also fill a season worth of the crown. Yeah, I, I really I agree with Ivan's point about it should have been moved into season five. It Yeah, it's a very strange first little bit of season for sure. And it's not even a full half season. It's like four episodes of what's going to be, what, like 10? Yeah. It's four episodes, and, it, and it, it necessitated the need to kind of split the season into two parts because I, I, I fully understand why they did it now because you almost want to be able to kind of take a bit of a break and cleanse your palate before moving into the kind of final leg of the series, which I presume is going to involve a bit of a time jump since we know the rest of the, the, the season is supposed to lead us into the early aughts. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, you know, here we are, uh, <laughs> you know, it's been a long journey to get here and I'm, yeah, unfortunately pretty keen to kind of move beyond this chapter now, just because of how much it's been dragged out and how, all of it was done for nothing, really. Like this, this, this wasn't it. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think you know we've we've talked about Diana a lot. We haven't really talked about the little bit of perspective of the rest of the royal family because, believe it or not, there is a rest of the royal family uh, that we can talk about here, and they're all at ba- uh, Balmoral still. If you remember, in the previous episode, they just. Uh, they being Charles and William and Harry just had their photo shoot. But interestingly, it's 
Princess Anne, who noticed that William is feeling a little bit down. And who knew Princess Anne was going to be the person who is really like, hey, you know what I want to do? I want to cheer up my nephew. Let's uh, let's send him out to, to hunt a stag. Do they ever ask the kids what would cheer them up? I just want to know. <laughs> well, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, you know, psychological horror, like this version of Princess Anne is menacing. Like <laughs> there is some, like... something about her that is just so cold and threatening and like, you know, looks like she can just tear you apart with a stare. Like I am yeah. deeply afraid of this woman. I... <laughs> And I remember when she was so like sort of bouncy and funny in in season four. Uh, I missed that season. Yeah, I, I think the problem is like she's no longer fun seeking. Like she is just no. there to stir the pot and, and kind of make you feel like shit for even breathing. Yeah, <laughs> there's really no light in that. I mean, like, you just imagine that those family dinners must be so much worse now. <laughs> like because of her? No, because there's like no one that wants any fun. Like anyone who had an ounce of fun is gone. Either like their old selves or the actual person is gone. What's Margaret up to? Well, we're not seeing a ton of Andrew, are we? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no. Or Edward. I mean, to be fair, I feel like those two, like damn, Elizabeth really wanted those kids and then she just... <laughs> They never show up again. In addition to, we haven't even mentioned this part. In addition to killing the stag, William also has to get blooded because it's his first stag. What was that about? <laughs> There's some, like, what's wrong with this family? Every time you, like, see those movies where it's, like, rich people have to go hunt people, you're like, that's not real. And then you look at this and you're like, oh, I guess, you know, that's not a far jump. Yeah, he just has blood smeared all over his face. I'm glad they showed that if for no other reason than to have approval ratings of the royal family plummet even further. <laughs> like, what's wrong with William and that's what's wrong? It all started with the bloodying of my face when I killed a stag because I was missing my mom. I mean, we get a lot of, I feel like, William and Harry. Uh, we get the phone call with them and Diana. They, again, uh, ask if she's still in Paris with her moccasin wearing poser and <laughs> we also get so it was interesting that <laughs> william tries to get harry to ask the question of whether or not they're getting married and harry can't do it harry chickens out uh which forces william just to do it um i thought that was funny it was it's funny seeing them like interact as as brothers in that way i will say though i wish they'd had more scenes of them like just them one-on-one -on -one interacting because you're like what do you two tell each other like <laughs> If you're not around any of your crazy family. Uh, one extremely trivial thing that I uh, picked up on regarding Harry is that Diana is buying him a PlayStation for his birthday. At this point in time, because we're 97 right now, mm -hmm. the PlayStation has been out for two years. And Prince Harry, <laughs> like, you know, who is part of one of the richest families of the world that, you know, have everything catered to them. He has been waiting two years to play the PlayStation. Like, I mean, is that believable? I guess Charles could have been like putting his foot down, like no PlayStation for two years. I mean, do, Maybe? do we believe that the royal family knows what a PlayStation is? I feel like <laughs> Charles does, not the rest of them. We're spared. Where can that. we fact check this PlayStation? <laughs> well, why, why didn't he get the PlayStation for his previous birthday then in 96? Was he old? How old is this kid? <laughs> I guess he would have been PlayStation age. Yeah, I mean, he was playing uh, Super Mario on a Game Boy in, in season five. Like, 
he's clearly into video games. Like I, I don't understand why like Prince Harry had to wait two years to get his hands on a PlayStation. Well, when did you get a PlayStation? Uh, I never had a PlayStation. I was a Nintendo 64 kid. Okay, got it. It's all about teaching Harry to be patient. He can't just get everything he wants exactly when he wants it. But he can. He's like <laughs> that that's the whole point of being a royal. I don't know. I now I really want to know and I'm going to like be wanting to google this afterwards and no one's going to give me an answer cuz that was the most lighthearted part of this episode that I would talk about. <laughs> no, that's fair. That I mean the boys are I don't know. Those kids are so cute. I mean, I, Harry's cute. The William they got just always scares me because he's like looks really correct, and I'm like, how did they find this kid? Wait, what do you like? As in, like his physical appearance? Appearance uh, yeah, is like he historically just accurate. So much William to me, but he also doesn't quite look like William, so I don't know what it is about him that they got right. But something's right, and I don't know what. On the flip side, for some reason, they flash back to Harry and William right before the end of the episode, where they're all packed and they're ready to go back to London tomorrow. And I thought that this scene was a bit gratuitous. Like, it's almost torture porny because we know, like, we know what's going to happen. Again, we know what's going to happen. The only reason that they're showing us Harry and William at this point is to make us feel sad and sorry for them. I don't know. The last episode was only 39 minutes. They ran this one for 56. Like, you don't need to show this. Clearly, it's not something that you need to do. You're just doing it because... I, I don't know. You you want this reaction from us? What one more thing about that scene? Also, like the um, the maid that was like checking in on them refers to like William on a first name basis, which I thought was really weird. Like no, uh, you know, kind of uh, you know, your what do they call them? Like you know, royal royal highness, hi, royal highness. No, like you know, prince. No, no formal titles. Just William. Like, can they do that? They're Scots. Uh, they do what they I, want. <laughs> I guess if the kid doesn't say anything, I yeah. want to. I want to think that the actor just forgot to say Prince, and they were just like, "It's whatever." Yeah, it's it's the last season. We all just want to go home. <laughs> the only other thing that I wanted to call out before we before we wrap it up is, I think the last thing that Henri, the driver, says is, "You'll never catch me." Like, at what point do you hear your driver saying these things and are like, "You sir are not fit to drive me today." Well, I guess you can't do anything. <laughs> well, on top on top of all of that, it's like it's taunting them. He's like he's challenging them to do it. Yeah, what? What are you doing, sir? This is terrible. And also like he's like they'll never see us coming out the back. They immediately see them coming out the back. Like your judgment is so poor. So so but like okay, so my understanding of of that situation is that there were far more paparazzi out front. But there were a couple that were mm -hmm. hanging around near the back just in case. Yes. And this is the contingent of the paparazzi that followed them. Okay, here's what I want to know. If you got in your car and you parked it and then you put up like a blanket over the windows, how long would it take for the paparazzi to leave? Or I guess if you let them take the photos. Either situation. Let's say you let them take the photos in your parked car. How long would it take them to leave? I want to know. Well, okay, but... I would say even more so, like, why, like, why do they not qualify for like a pari uh, for a, a police caravan in this situation? Oh, like, that's the, the, true. Like the police kind of like dispersed one of like the earlier gatherings of the paparazzi, but like, why aren't they just like permanently assigned detail? You know what I want to also know: Are guns illegal at this point? Why don't they have like an armed guard around the car? 
There's so many things I could have done. Yeah, you don't need guns. You could just do, you know, tear gas or yeah, you know, yeah. That that's like, more like, that's more Parisian. Yeah, I yeah. You gotta wonder why. I mean, e- even if it wasn't like the the French police, why there wasn't just like way way more security detail here. Like Dodi and Mohammed could have afforded it, no problem. Yeah, it's it's very strange, and that's almost what I want to look up the most. <laughs> like, how yeah. did this even happen? Uh, we may never know. Uh, we may never know. Anything else to uh, that either of you would like to add about Dimawi? Um, I'll, I'll just end it on a positive note. Um, I, I continue to think that Elizabeth Debicki's performance uh, as Diana uh, is, uh, for me, significantly elevated in season six over season five. I really like everything that she's done in the past couple episodes, and I think she's going out on a high note here. Yeah, I agree. I wish they'd given her more, but yeah. Um, I agree with that too. So... Normally, this is the point in the episode where we would do the Kinky Crown Award, but I don't, I mean, I don't think no. it's A, appropriate, and B, there was nothing, like, the crown has yeah. really moved yeah, away from it, that era it was, of itself. I think no. out, of, out of respect, we'll we'll take a pause this week and yeah. reconvene next week, and I still won't like it then, but at least I won't have an excuse to insist on skipping it. Okay, fair. But the sponsor of today's episode has to be the Dimois We Dimois We. I guess that's it, yeah. Uh, ring. Yeah. Uh, and Sony. And Sony. <laughs> yeah, and Sony. Oh, and Both also Julio. Both available for purchase this holiday season. Oh, I was going to say, and also Julio Iglesias, Diana's favorite. <laughs> okay, so with that, I think we can uh, wrap things up here on The Crown Season 6, Episode 3. Only one more episode to go in this first batch of crown episodes but uh not long to wait until they release the second half so uh we've got one more now and and six more uh along the way ivan if people want to catch up with you on the crown where can they do that i I don't have a clever new one i feel like we've been doing this for too long for me to give some (laughs) fresh made up answers so uh yeah let's uh you you can find me on elon musk's platform at ivan vukovic all right, Carlin, what about you? Um, Twitter, at Carlin Greenwald. Instagram, at Carlin underscore G-E-E. All right, you can find me on Twitter, at Sir Sam Chung. But the best place to reach all of us is going to be on Twitter, at Crown Around Pod. And that's all we got for you today. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next time. And God save the queen. God, God save, save the, queen, the queen, even though she wasn't in this episode. <laughs>